G'day, and welcome to episode 110 of the Pack Heavy Podcast. My name is Hayden Thompson, and today Marissa Miles, who is one of two co-founders of Tree Island Yogurt, joined me to chat about the ins and outs of their 10-year business journey, with a big focus on supporting the local economy and the importance of grass-fed, organic, and regenerative farming practices. And we also touched on the local farmers and producers that they work with and alongside as well. So Tree Island Yogurt was founded in 2012 by Marissa and her microbiologist husband, Scott, and they produce high-quality grass-fed yogurt in their own production facility, which is nestled in the Comox Valley on Vancouver Island. Their full range of yogurts can be found at Whole Foods, Thrifty Foods, and natural and specialty food stores right across Canada. So this really was a great episode for anyone with a sympathizing and curious ear for the challenges of building their own production facility, and for anyone who is focused on supporting the local economy by producing a really technical, delicious, and nourishing product. Marissa was a pleasure to chat with today, and I really hope you all enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So let's get on with the show, episode 110 with Marissa Miles. Marissa, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Hayden. It's a pleasure. I'm really excited to have you on. Um, I came across you on LinkedIn. I think you commented on somebody's post and I'm like, oh, Marissa Miles, how do I know that name? So I clicked on your name and uh, obviously I came across your business and dug right into it and I thought that we could have a really fun conversation and here we are. Yeah. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's a fantastic podcast, actually, that you have and a, a great resource for other food entrepreneurs. Uh, thank you. That's completely my goal. Like, um, well, first of all, I really enjoy having conversations with people like you. Like I learn so much um, just in general and it's turned into a really good resource for everybody out there as well. And that's at least the feedback that I'm getting. So if that's occurring, I'm uh, definitely achieving my goal. <laughs> fantastic. No worries. So where are you from? Where'd you grow up? So I'm actually originally originally from Vancouver, so mm-hmm. not far from Vancouver Island. Yeah. But uh, my husband's from Victoria, and um, so we're BC people. Yeah, but we came, we settled in the Comox Valley about 14 years ago, and mm-hmm. that's where we started our business. What a beautiful part of the world. Yeah, it's fantastic. So it's a great place to have a family. Um, we picked this because it's, you know, close to the ocean, close to yeah. the mountains, and there's a fantastic agriculture community here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Did you grow up on, I guess you growing up in Vancouver, probably not, but did you grow <laughs> up in like a, uh, like a farm or anything like that as well? Oh, yeah. No, I'm a city girl. You're like, like a literally so... Vancouver downtown proper yeah. kind of thing. Okay. Absolutely. But um my family's from Saskatchewan, so every year we went to Saskatchewan and spent time on the, our family farm there. Yep. So I do have a connection, and that was something that connected my husband and I. So my husband's actually has a PhD in microbiology, cool. and he's a scientist and was studying plant disease when I first met him. And so we had uh, a connection because he was interested in studying in Saskatchewan, and and um, so we had lots of good stories about about that place. And uh, one thing led to another, and uh, we knew we wanted to start a business together. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge endeavor. Like, what? Uh, like, was it always going to be yogurt? Like, what ideas were you tossing around? <laughs> well, yeah, that's the funny thing. We knew that we always wanted to do a natural product business, just yeah. having the interest in agriculture. Yeah. But And we also knew we wanted to do something value added. Um, and my husband's PhD was actually in uh, mycology, which mm, is mushrooms. Mushrooms, yeah, I love so it. We had, yeah, we did a uh, we had a business plan on mushrooms. We did a lot of research, but uh, when you crunch the numbers and you look at the different business models, mm. we didn't think mushrooms was the mm-hmm. right direction for us. Yeah. And um, he actually was invited to do postdoctoral work in France, so we were there. Um, he had a presentation. We went to a conference. And it was there that we were eating yogurt and we realized, we, oh, this is delicious. Mm. And this is something simple. We thought <laughs> that it was simple, something that we could make. So, um, yeah, very easy on a small scale, much more challenging on a large scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can only imagine. So mycology, I've actually, you've heard of Paul Stamets? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen him speak and he is just awesome. Like I'm so inspired yeah. by that guy. And that was where I sort of really got sort of the first taste of sort of mycology and mushrooms and, you know, um, the way that we're sort of tied into mushrooms, um, as well. It was really cool. And, um, and obviously like with your husband sort of being into, um, you know, microbiology and stuff like that, I can see that the translation, but, you know, um, yogurt is obviously a cultured product, very, very similar and, you know, to kombucha and other things like that as well. So did you have any other ideas or yogurt was the one? 
Well, actually, we were going to a conference on algae. So this ah, was cool. like 14 years ago. So yeah. we were looking at um, algae oil and the oils that you can get from algae. It's yeah. really, um, it's fantastic to see, you know, the seaweed industry growing mm. and the potential of, of seaweed mm. for yeah. on a number of different levels. So um, that was something that we looked at. But no, we, it was the yogurt epiphany. We, we knew when oh. we found it that that was going to be what we were going to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. yogurt, obviously you're tied into the dairy industry. So I did notice that, you know, one of the key value propositions that your business has or that your yogurt has is that it's all grass fed as well, which yeah. is really cool. So let's talk about sort of the market research that you conducted to see if, you know, the idea that you had, um, you know, had any legs and, you know, the validation around your ideas as well. Where did you start? Like what got this idea off the ground? Yeah, well, actually, we, we knew we wanted to make yogurt. So we started with wanting the best quality ingredients. Um, we noticed that the yogurt that we tasted in France, the, some of the recipes didn't have milk powders. Mm. So it was really quite fresh and creamy. Um, and it was something that we hadn't tasted. It wasn't like the other brands available at the grocery store. So um, we started by reaching out to farmers locally and connecting and, and learning about farming on Vancouver Island and in BC. And we also did some research you know papers and all that sort of stuff mm. and one of the interesting things was that we discovered um there was no certified organic farms on vancouver island and that was really interesting to us but then as we dug deeper we found out they had done studies on organic and grass-fed and that the nutritional benefits mm of grass-fed were um, what stood out for us. Mm -hmm. So we knew we wanted to work with grass-fed farmers and started talking to family farms and, mm. and learning about what they were up to. No, that's fantastic. Um, and this was all happening back like prior to 2011 when the business launched, or is this sort of around the time when you did start? Oh, yeah. So we, um, this is so funny, because we're actually celebrating our 10th anniversary this, right. um, this quarter. Okay. And um, from the idea, we was sparked in 2012, it was an 18 month process of yeah. business planning, yeah. um, supply, getting supplies lined up, getting yep. money lined up, yep. um, putting together a production plant that mm -hmm. would be certified by the center of disease control to mm -hmm. be able to, to make uh, food. So there's quite a lot. It wasn't just like, mm. I mean, it started like us sitting around and, and dreaming, but there's a lot to it to make it happen. Mm. So our official um, start was December, 2012. We had our first batch at the Comox Valley farmer's market. And in January, 2013, we were selling to the natural health food stores on Vancouver Island. Oh, wow. That happened pretty yeah. quickly. <laughs> when I look back, I think um, it, it, it happened pretty quick, but there was a lot of work. Oh, I can only imagine. And so, and it wouldn't have been a smooth road the whole way either. Like, you know, from idea to operational, I can imagine that you would have come across quite a few roadblocks. Did you have any, um, you know, resources or key mentors or anyone that you sort of like reached out to that was sort of critical in assisting you to sort of get to a point where you could operate? Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely, there was some food scientists at BCIT. Mm. They have mm. a great um, program there. And uh, we met um, a woman named Nancy, who's like a real local guru in food yeah. safety. Okay. So that was a fantastic person to have. Um, um, also, everyone always talks about Andrea Gray Grant. She's Good amazing, isn't she? Yeah, she's she, been on the podcast twice now. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So she is a fantastic resource. I mean, she's a, a real light in the industry mm. and she's definitely something someone that we spent time with cool. um, and who really helped us get up and running. Um, one of the other things that was really helpful was re working with the Chef Association. We worked okay. with two Chef Associations, um, the North Island Chef Association, as well as the Island Chef Collaborative in Victoria. And it was fantastic to work with chefs and really understand there's things that happen on a kitchen scale and there's things that happen on a food processing scale. Yeah. Um, and they're not necessarily the same thing. What you can do in a kitchen is not what you do in a factory, to be mm. honest. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a lot more control and um, a lot more logs, time, temperature. It's a lot more scientific in mm. a in, you know, a food processing yeah. facility, yeah. Yeah. which is, you know, more my husband's strength anyway. So that scientific method was mm. 
a big part of of getting us off the ground. I don't think anybody can really just jump in and get started in dairy processing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can only imagine. Um, so you had the idea to produce yogurt. Now, how many SKUs did you actually launch with at that farmer's market? Yeah, the farmer's market. It was plain honey and vanilla beans. So we had three flavors Yeah. Uh, with uh, uh, it was just kettle cooked with cream on top. So 100% fresh Yum. whole grass fed milk. Um, so super old fashioned recipe and super like fresh, creamy and delightful. Yeah. So um, it was right around the time when um, Greek yogurt started. To mm. get it took popular. off again. Yeah, it did. Yeah. 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 So then our next project was developing some thicker, richer products. Um with, but we do it without milk powder. So we did an old fashioned recipe where we actually use cheese bags to strain mm. out the, the water or the whey from, from the yogurt and we flavored it. Um, and that was like the very beginning of, of our recipes. And how was the feedback of everybody tasting it and purchasing the product? Oh yeah. Fantastic. We loved it. We have so many people uh, reach out and you know, over the years, I would say that the one of the most rewarding things about having a food business is knowing that you're feeding people and making mm. them happy. Yeah, and I think it it definitely off balances all the other things that go in that are like the the hair thing, the sweat, and the things <laughs> yes. you pull your hair out yeah. to make it happen. Yeah, um, one of the highlights I remember we get emails and feedback, but one was a woman who told us that her mother was dying and in palliative care, and that all she would eat was our lemon yogurt. And it was just so sweet to know that like there was something comforting for yeah. somebody out there that needed it. So oh, that's beautiful. It Yeah. It happens at different parts of the lifespan too. Some people contact us and say, Hey, I'm like breastfeeding and now I'm weaning my baby and I want to get, you know, try up different dairies. And I'm, I found yours and it because it's natural grass fed, no powders mm -hmm. and fillers. Mm -hmm. I'm so happy. I found it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we drink grass med, uh, grass med. We drink grass fed milk at home as well, and yeah, it's it's delicious. Like really, like if you were to do a you know a blind taste test, I think you could definitely tell the difference. Yes, so that was actually part of our original research was a blind mm. taste test, mm. and uh, hands down, you could tell the uh, grass fed. Mm. Yeah. It be one of the things is that we don't homogenize our milk, so okay. that's a key feature. So all all the big dairies that you find, they're taking the milk, whole milk from a cow, and putting it through um, like kind of like a high turbulation that breaks down the flat fat globules, mm -hmm. and then it makes the fat go throughout the product. So um, that's one thing that'll affect the flavor. Um, the grass-fed milk won't last as long because the cream will age. It does, and so it doesn't have the same shelf life right. as uh, the bigger industrial things. So that's a trade-off. Um, but it is something that definitely, um, you know, changes or makes the product stand out. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to me about the development of the brand around the product. So, you know, you would have had to have gone through the process of, okay, how are we going to package it up? How is the consumer going to interact with the packaging? What kind of brand are we going to develop around this product? And what kind of emotional experience do we want to sort of encapsulate throughout that as well? So where did you start? Like, where did the name Tree Island Gourmet Yogurt come from? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. We we actually live in a, in Courtney, and um, we live in a little kind of smaller community south called Royston, and right in front of our house is a place called Tree Island. Okay. Tree Island is sort of a place where you're going to paddle to, and it's like full of big adventures, and it's a real beauty, kind of like a jewel. Awesome for uh, the kids. Yeah, awesome for the kids. Yeah. Um, but it's inspiration around uh, family um, environment and uh, this beautiful place that we live. So that's why we named it after our life here. Beautiful. And you have just gone through a bit of a rebrand as well, haven't you? Yeah, I wouldn't call it a rebrand. We're actually going through a re-exploration. So one of the key things that's happened to us, or not happened, that we're working on rather, is that um, we've recently launched a plant-based yogurt. Mm. And so it's really quite interesting because there's a huge interest from consumers. People would contact us and say, hey, I love yogurt, but I can't, or someone in my family can't eat it, or are you ever going to make 
some a dairy-free option. So we've been experimenting and developed a recipe over the last 18 months um, with our goal of keeping true to our brand promise, which yeah. is like always delicious, always nutritious. So um, we wanted to make sure that in any product that we introduce upheld that it was really key to us and in looking at a lot of the plant-based options out there they're not really that nutritious they might mm. look like yogurt or try to taste like yogurt but they're not really giving you the nourishment that a real dairy yogurt would mm -hmm. so from that perspective um we were actually we've sourced a really pure hemp heart and we're using avocado awesome. oil and coconut oh wow cream so yeah. Um, we wanted to make it light so it's not as decadent as some of the other brands, but it's something that you can have every day that would go with your granola and that you can um, yeah. incorporate into your, your daily life. But um, so, yeah, all those really like starting adding new products makes you think about who am I? What mm. am I doing? Why am I doing this? Mm. So uh, I'm actually a pretty open minded person. So wanted to be open and trying on new things so we do have a, a new package out there that we've tested we've got we're getting feedback we're calling it version 1.0 so our uh, collecting feedback from people we're uh, testing our recipe and making improvements and actually have a uh, package update coming um later in 2023 Awesome. So yeah. how are you going about collecting all of that information? Is it like a small sample of people that you've sent the product out to exclusively and you've got a survey that they must fill out or how are you sort of conducting that? Yeah, well, there's we're doing it in a couple of different ways. One is um, surveying and sampling with people. Uh, we actually did a whole bunch of blind taste tests where we had sealed containers with numbers on them mm -hmm. uh, with different recipes so we could taste people could taste them without knowing what was what. Mm. And so it was more blind. Um, I've read that in order to test something, putting it in your package and giving it to people and asking them in front of their face, it's, it's not true. Yeah. They're not going to really tell you the truth. So, um, you know, we're soliciting feedback. Um, we did solicit feedback through the, that testing phase. And also now we, we got the recipe to a place where we're really happy with it. Right. And we are doing demos and sampling and pe getting people's feedback. So there's, um, I, I'd like to say that it was more scientific, but it's kind of an art as well. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. And who would you say your target demographic is? Like, were you sending it out to specific sort of targeted audiences or was it sort of just like, let's get it out there and see what returns or how did you go about that? Yeah, well, um, we know that there's a lot, like you're talking about the plant-based yogurt, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we know that there's um, different demographics that eat plant-based and um, they do it for different reasons. Mm. So um, there's some people that can't eat dairy due to like intolerance, like digestive intolerance. Yeah. There's some people that think that dairy-free might be a better option from a climate perspective mm -hmm. um, or that they're trying to reduce their saturated fat. So that yeah. could be another reason. Yeah. It really depends on the eater. So our brand is, is really um, not targeted to like Molly millennial necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is something that we want children to be able to eat, mm. which is why we wanted it to be nutritious. So that. Yeah dairy-free kids could have that extra nutrition boost when yep. they're actually eating um, dairy-free yogurt. Um, but also there's like, you know, we call uh, our friends in like the boomers that might have um, dairy, built up dairy intolerance or something. Yeah. So we also yeah. want to appeal to them. Yeah, so yeah. it's not the traditional strategy of like finding a niche and targeting it and doing all that. And um, I have to say that there's, I, that our approach has been a lot more organic and and following um, and listening more so than um, strategizing and and all that stuff. The last ten years, there's been um, you know there's different approaches mm. to uh, branding and all that, but our original package and who we are is just actually who we are. It's not. Yeah. That contrived. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't done in any way other than just showing up and doing our best. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, 
the ingredients that you've got there. So you said there is a couple of things there. There was your mantra of always delicious, always nutritious. And I can imagine that when you're developing a product and you're filtering your ideas and, you know, all of the decisions you have to make through that filter of always delicious and always nutritious, it would really work in your favor because if it doesn't meet those two criteria, it's an automatic no, like it's <laughs> yeah. a pass. So that's yeah. really cool. That's a good piece of advice. And then the other one as well, you mentioned, uh, was it um, hemp, uh, coconut and avocado oil? Yes. Yeah. That I'd imagine be quite expensive ingredients. So how have you managed to maintain Mm -hmm. your cogs there? Yeah. So, well, one of the things is we own a yogurt manufacturing plant. So (laughs) we have an economy of scale that are perfect. Right. That's the obvious answer. Yeah. Um, They are expensive ingredients, but they are nutritious. So it's worth eating. Right. So I guess to that point, it is a consumer that's looking for Mm a special nutrition yeah um yeah the the avocado oil is really unique because of the monounsaturated fats yeah um and the hemp parts because of the you know it has nine essential amino acids so mm-hmm. uh, it is quite unique yeah no and i can imagine delicious as well we cook with avocado oil at home and uh yeah it's it's really good i like it because like obviously um you know your olive oil is really fragrant when you're cooking and especially when yeah. you're heating it up it doesn't have as high a um temperature that you can reach with as you do with uh, avocado oil so we roast our potatoes and do a lot of our frying uh in the frying pan with avocado oil with a yes. lot of success yeah. it's good yeah 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 it's been fun to pick out different um um, ingredients. So one of the things that's really unique about the recipe that we're really proud of is just that we actually have a strawberry, a peach, and a blueberry. And yep. those are really difficult flavors to achieve with the yeah. typical plant-based. If you look at the uh, other options on the market, everyone's like, it's berry berry or whatever. And um, but to or to the, you know it's mango something or other. Yeah. So um, to actually have like a strawberry, peach, and blueberry is really quite unique. And so our base is quite neutral. It mm. doesn't it doesn't taste like coconut is the main thing because it's a blend of hemp, avocado, and coconut. So yep. it, there's been a lot of testing to go into it to get to that to get the flavor profile. Yeah. It still doesn't taste like dairy yogurt. I don't think that it would. I'm not sure about like if it'll ever have that wow yeah. factor. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, a really good <laughs> creamy dairy yogurt does. Um, but it what we really like about the recipe that's working really well is it goes good with your granola. It mm. adds, goes good with your fresh fruit. Mm-hmm. So it's something that you can mix in, incorporate into your meals. Mm. I'll keep an eye out for it for sure. Like I said to you before we kicked off the episode, uh, I was at um, Famous Foods uh, in oh. Vancouver on the weekend and I picked up a tub of your yogurt and it was delicious and the kids gobbled it up as well. And that's always a really good sign. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing that I liked is it wasn't loaded with sugar. And it was nice and sweet and it was like re- extremely palatable. Like it was moreish. like I wanted more, but it yeah. wasn't loaded with sugar. So I felt really good eating it. Yeah. So that's another thing. I mean, I guess I have to admit, like I'm a health foodie. I can't help it. Yeah. Um, it's just the way I was raised, but, yeah. um, but our, our recipes are uh, more fruit, less sugar. Yeah. So we are being conscientious about that. Very good. So talk to me about the facility that you've built. So obviously you launched the business and you went straight into production in your own facility. And I can imagine that, you know, even setting up the facility and buying all of your equipment, there would have been quite a large capital outlay. Yeah. And then obviously to get operational and maintain the business and scale and grow and all of those things to a point where you are right now about to celebrate your 10 years. And you mentioned um, before we kicked off as well, that you're about to move into a larger facility, which is going to offer you further expansion and growth too. So tell me about sort of the challenges of building out your own um, facility and, you know, what kind of hurdles you had to jump over and what kind of capital outlay people are not to get into detail, but like, you know, a capital outlay is extremely real. And I can imagine that you would have had to have had a lot of confidence in your business and go out there and get the funding and so on as well. So what kind of process did that look like? Yeah. So um, from the beginning, we piece things together that we call it the bootstrap phase everyone goes through it especially if you're investing in your own production so really we started out with a building Mm. um, and a couple pieces of equipment and our business is something that we continue to reinvest in so uh, we've built up equipment over time so it's kind of like Rome wasn't built in a day yeah 
my dad told me overnight success takes 25 years. So, so it's a slow and steady game that we play, but, um, the, we started out really, there was a lot more labor involved, hand labor and essentially our free labor. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so in order to balance the budget, definitely there was a lot of sweat equity. And, and, and was this hand. before kids as well? You know what? I actually had a two-year-old and five-year-old when we started our business. Wow. Okay. It was the hardest time of my life and like filled with so much joy and so much work. And I'm really thankful that I was young and healthy and I really, uh, my body could take that. Yeah. But we really put ourselves through the ringer. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Like if, you know, I think my husband was a competitive bike racer. So, you know, (laughs) we always high tolerance to pain, (laughs) high tolerance to pain. We'll go that extra mile. You know, so, so, and, you know, I I really think that that was one of the things that has helped us um, along the way. But the um, main thing I think in thinking about a growing business is that in order for your business to grow, the money needs to come from somewhere. Mm. And, you know, in the dream world, you have all the money you need when you start and you get going, but um, you really need to have profitability um, to reinvest in your business. Um, or if you're growing too fast, that can cause a cash flow um crunch problem Um, and so that's obviously something like that listeners would be interested in Um, but also seeking investments and grants so grant uh, I had a former career as a grant a fundraiser so right okay yeah so that helped in um, in in our work and reaching out to all the different organizations that could support new uh, food processing businesses So the Investment Agriculture Foundation was a fantastic resource for us. We actually had a uh, commercialization of new technology grant that we put together to develop our Greek yogurt line. Um, We also participated in the BIBC. We did have like a micro loan from uh, the Island Chef Collaborative and also were able to be Whole Foods uh, first local producer loan recipient in BC. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. So low interest loans or where when we repaid the loan, you actually got the interest back. Oh, so great. those were fantastic opportunities to partner with the organizations that are working in our community yeah. to grow the food industry. Yeah. So, um, so sometimes I see businesses out there and every business has a different strategy, right? Like we're very much a family business. Yep. So that's a lot different than somebody who's building a brand, who's going to have a co-packer and going mm-hmm. to like get in, get out kind of thing. Right. And so for us, we do love the process of working with farmers and we love the process of making food. We love the our staff that, that we make food with. We love our community, who, the people that we feed. And so for us, we we really love what we do, um, but our strategy is a is a much more of a long game. Yeah, yeah, very good. And so, with it being a family business, when did the kids get started? <laughs> Are they scrubbing the floors? Well, they, what are they doing? They were the first taste testers. So Ooh, actually, yeah. the funny thing is, is that uh, our yogurt is quite light and creamy. It doesn't have the same tangy flavor that some other yogurts have. Some yeah. have a very strong, strong tang. I love tangy. Like Me I, too. I yeah. love that flavor myself. But with the kids being the taste testers, when they were little, they didn't actually like the really sour yogurt. So mm. we, we actually tested a whole bunch of different yogurt cultures. And the culture that we chose was the one that the kids preferred. So it was lighter, softer, creamier, and it it wasn't as sour. And I think it's been something that's been popular with our customers. That's cool. So it's a strain of culture that you're like, that I guess would be your signature strain. Is that how you'd look at it? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. fantastic. And mm-hmm. um, and the other question I always ask to, um, you know, people that are going to business with their significant other is how do you maintain the balance in life between, you know, working together and home life and potentially keeping conversations separate or not having business conversations around the dinner table? How do you, how do you maintain that? 
Yeah, that's been one of the hardest things to navigate and uh, the biggest challenges of actually being in business with my husband. Mm. So before it was sort of like an advantage, we would talk all the time. And then we went through a phase where we realized we need to have healthy boundaries. We yeah. need to be able to turn the work off because yeah. it'll eat you up if you don't stop. So um, we started out as like husband wife, but as the business grew and it got more complicated, we realized, you know what? healthy functioning businesses need one leader they don't need two and mm -hmm. that was a really hard thing for me because you know it's 50% my business yeah. but I needed to um, personally take a step back one for the staff so that the staff knew that the ultimate decision maker was my husband yeah. and and two uh, for my children because because of the age of my kids I needed to focus yeah. more on my they family. They needed you yeah understood so I guess defining roles and being very very clear on the roles and the decisions that each role would make is that how you define it? Yeah, defining roles yep. and um, actually hiring key staff to work in the business yeah. because you can't do everything yourself and yep. it's really important for you to focus on the the things that are the most important. And for me, it's like obviously um, caring for the business, but also caring for the family. Mm. So I we benefited well, not we benefit, we grew our business by growing our staff. Yeah. So um, early on, we knew that um, it couldn't be just Scott and Marissa. So we um, hired some college students. And yep. actually, that was one of the things that helped us was a training grant through cool. like, the HRDC um, to hire students. So we got that going. We developed SOPs, the standard operating procedures, mm -hmm. so that we could train people. Um, and then we're able to build out our HR and um, job descriptions and yep. So that we the business could stand on its own two feet. Yeah, you could have a sick day if you were sick and you didn't have to feel obliged to go into work kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yep, very good. And so what would you consider your specific strengths to be? Obviously, you know, you mentioned you had a former career in grant writing, which tells me that, you know, you, um, you know, the kind of person that gets in there and likes to put pen to paper and get things written down. But what are your specific strengths on, on the business and sort of what areas of the business did you find yourself gravitating towards? Yeah, well, I've worked more on sales and marketing, okay. and I also work on HR. So those are the things that I've kind of been chatting about. Yep. My husband's definitely more of the expert on production, yep. on all the equipment, um, and all the technical aspects. But yep. he's, he's really good at strategy, so we strategize together a lot. Yeah, But I do a lot of um, things that are relationship-based. So um, the staff is the part I feel like the most reward, actually, I really enjoy working with a variety of different people getting to know people and also seeing how our business is a part of their personal growth. So mm. we have people that come on, they come all for different reasons, but that they find themselves in a position where they can learn and grow or that they're going to save money and go to college or if they're going to um, help contribute because they bring a specialized skill. So um that's something really fantastic. I think that I've taken more leadership on. And um, we do actually have a director of sales. So we have a really experienced person on sales. And right. uh, that was, you know, a hard thing for me to give up yeah. being my baby at the beginning. But yep. having someone that you trust who actually brings more to the team and more, he actually has more experience than me. So what else can I ask for, really? Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, so for that, I've been able to focus more on um, obviously the finance. We have a controller and stuff, but we're always looking at how to run the business more effectively and efficiently mm -hmm. and to achieve our goals. And so that was one thing that I wanted to mention was that it's really important in business to know your why. Yeah. And for new business owners, it's sometimes it's like wandering in the forest, but having being really clear for yourself about why you're doing what you're doing, because I feel like it can the, a growing business can have very many demands and ask you to make lots of compromises, especially you have if you have children. So um, knowing um, what your purpose is and what you're trying to get out of it and what makes a good business and what makes a good life. So for me, really keeping that the core of what we're doing um, 
is I guess very much more a leadership vision thing. So mm. being able to communicate the vision, mission, um, and inspiration to our staff, our team, and as we grow and make different decisions to keep those priorities in mind. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's so easy to get led astray, isn't it? Especially like, you know, with attractive new ideas out there and you sort of, uh, you know, it's a really common theme on this podcast as well that people do find that, you know, the muddy, the water gets muddied with a lot of ideas, but it's which ones to execute on, you know, and spend the time on. So how do you sort of, how far out are you looking when you're sort of doing a bit of strategic focus on what the future looks like and the direction that you want to take the business? Like, do you have, have like a sort of a five-year plan or are you looking further down the road than that? Yeah, it's sort of two to five years. I think we we we're pretty practical people, so keeping yep. the practical in mind, but with a longer term vision of where we're trying to get to, mm. for sure. But I definitely can agree that there's probably more ideas than time or money. So yeah. that's the the um, thing. So making decisions about which ones are the the most important. Yeah. Um, leverage is a really important thing, not just financial leverage, but the, you know, technology and, um, we've invested in like digital infrastructure. So we're able to, we have an ERP system. So, you know, moving all those inventory items around mm -hmm. through our process of shipping and direct sale to, uh, our customers. Okay. What program are you using? We use NetSuite. Yeah. I yep. wouldn't recommend it for everyone or most, I would 99% of the people, I wouldn't recommend NetSuite yep. to. Yeah, yeah. We uh, use NetSuite at Foodpack and we absolutely love it. It serves its purpose really well here. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Really? No, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. So we are, I guess we have a complicated business and I, I would, <laughs> there's a lot of, lot of other businesses that are more complicated than us. Cause really we only have 19 SKUs, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of different ingredients that go in. So a lot there's of inputs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. Kyle, our um, CFO, he's also a coder. So mm -hmm. he goes in and the amount of customization that he does to really? create all of the forms and oh. uh, yeah, yeah, it's incredible the amount of work that he does. He's really an expert at NetSuite. And uh, yeah, we've that's got your, it very much dialed in. That's your yep. colleague. I'll introduce yeah. you. Oh. Yeah. I, I need Kyle's number. <laughs> yeah, no, no worries. He's a busy guy, but like, he's incredible. Like he's just so gifted uh, in so many ways and uh, just the nicest guy you'll ever meet. But yes, his gift in life is to be able to code and work with NetSuite. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a very expensive thing to implement. Yes, it is. There's yeah. a lot of customization. Yeah. So like the bare bones kind of does one thing, but yeah. probably you need you oh know, my gosh. The power of NetSuite is phenomenal. Like when you can really mm -hmm. fine tune it and, you know, mm -hmm. um, orient it in the direction that you're operating your business. It's a very, yeah. very powerful tool. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So different things like, so like for us, equipment, digital infrastructure, uh -huh. um, having SOPs and training programs, those are all different things to sort of leverage. So yeah. I think to help you kind of move the business forward. That's cool. In terms of the yogurt industry itself, like, you know, you've got huge, big commercial organized or companies, you know, corporate um, entities that sort of dominate the shelf. And then you've got, you know, smaller businesses like yours who are absolutely making a dent in the market, but have got, like you said, value added propositions like grass fed, um, you know, a, a low sugar content and, you know, focusing on fruit to sweeten the product and so on. Um, where's the industry at? Like what, what direction is the industry moving? And obviously you've already mentioned that plant-based is taking a, um, obviously taking some strides out there as well. Um, and you've decided to invest in your SKUs too, but where else is the industry going? And are you seeing a resurgence in like you saw Greek yogurt have a resurgence about 10 years ago, but what's the latest trend? Yeah, I think the yogurt market is actually getting quite stable. So the most notable is the um, low sugar, I think mm. is an, of an interest as well as um, dairy free options. When I analyze the data, though, they're not, it's nothing like their day to day dairy kind of thing. Those numbers are really much bigger for yeah. the whole market. The market's actually quite big. Mm. Um, I think we live on the West Coast. And again, I'm a health foodie. So we're kind of in that market. But the average Canadian eats quite a bit of um, yogurt and um, is just regular fruit stirred yogurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I buy the yogurt with the highest fat content that I can buy. Yes. Oh, that's my, you know? that's my yeah. criteria. Yeah. Okay. Like I would consider my diet like 
75% keto, there's paleo yeah. in there and then the rest of it is yes. I'm just going to enjoy life as well. But when yeah. we're making our um, decisions and we're out doing our groceries, yeah, when I'm looking at yogurt, it's it's low sugar yes. and then as high a fat content as I can get. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, we've actually had some great partners. One of my friends, um, Shania at Homegrown Living, she's uh, diabetic. So she makes some really great snacks that are keto mm. and mm-hmm. it goes really great with the yogurt. So yeah. I've been enjoying some paleo granola that my friend makes yeah. as well. So it is something I think that we're um, looking at. And um the yogurt industry overall, like it's in all corners of Canada. Mm. I'd like to um, be able to better serve some of the more rural communities. Mm-hmm. They're harder to reach. Mm. But um, it is historically dairy is a, a key food staple for people that are from, you know, northern or western Europe. And yep. um, I think one of the reasons that we've grown to be so big and tall compared to our ancestors is um, some of the access to nutrition that we've had over the 100%. past generations yeah for sure without a doubt and i can imagine you know some of the challenges that you may have faced over the years would have been in distribution especially cold chain distribution how have you found that sort of component is it sort of um you know seemed to be difficult at times or has it been an easy thing for you to connect um you know with businesses through a good distribution chain for yourselves yeah. So one of the things that's unique about Tree Island is we self-distribute. So oh, cool. you actually have a cold chain trucking business. So right. that's um, we deliver direct to grocers. So we're preferred supplier for all of our um, customers. So that's how we've managed it is is through investing in it um it was a it was a trade-off though mm. so investing in trucking means it was like we weren't investing in more equipment or building we, yeah. we were limited by the size of our building anyway but um but the cold chain is super important for um our product and mm. The dairy, meat, and shellfish are the most highly regulated um, foods from a CFIA standpoint. So uh, being able to have the data and checkpoints and stuff like that Mm. was really important to us. Mm -hmm. We did work, uh, gather information for working with other distributors, but the cost to do business with them was Mm. quite prohibitive. Yeah. Dairy is actually one of those things. I don't think people realize that there's a lot of like dissing dairy and dairy kind of, you know, we're really considering our, our impact. And there's a lot of big conversations around climate and stuff like that happening. Um, And so for us, we're really focused on regenerative and also reducing our footprint. So it's a big core thing. But around uh, dairy is like this super huge nutrition, nutritious um, food staple that's the price of it has been ground down to a very low price. So it's not a high margin uh, product, not mm-hmm. like some other things like some crackers and some nutritional supplements. The margins are a lot different than on dairy. So dairy is extremely efficient, extremely has to be extremely competitive. Mm. And there really for us wasn't room in the uh, equation to have a distributor. Yeah, understood. So did you just grow up one truck at a time? Like what was your strategy there? Well, what happened was that our parents were our first delivery drivers. So we bought (laughs) a refrigerated van. I love that. And in Victoria and my mother-in-law and father-in-law delivered to the health food stores in Victoria. Yeah. And they did the Moss Street Market. So we had a big community of people that learned about Tree Island at the farmer's market. So we were doing Comox and they were doing Victoria and we were the island um, yogurt tiers. That's awesome. And so um, just to go back to something you said about sort of the agricultural and, you know, narratives that are going around right now around, you know, um, what is a good solution for the health of the planet and obviously also the health of our bodies and nutrition. There are so many different narratives going on out there. And I think the one that gets lost, but the one that I also hold a lot of value in is the regenerative farming piece and how important and vital the health of the soil is. And, you know, the actual, it's just so vital. It's just 
and yeah. I, I've heard some really, really cool podcasts basically on, um, you know, the health of our soil and how it actually also sequesters and um, holds carbon as well. Yeah. And, um, and also obviously there's huge issues with monoculture and, uh, sorry, mono agriculture and, and so on too. So can you yeah. provide us any insights or any sort of like value in terms of the conversation and, and why you hold it so dear that grass fed is something that you're sticking with? Yeah, um, I think the one of the reasons that um, that were one of the examples that's like really salient for me is you can hop on YouTube and you can take a look. I think it's Google Google Earth or some kind of NASA I had some a video of April in North America from space, and that's the time when everybody's plowing up their fields mm -hmm. and all the dust and all the carbons being released released into the atmosphere. Yeah, and there's a there's a lot of uh, a lot of nutrients and and things lost through the plowing yeah. process. Mm -hmm. um, but with the um, grass fed, one of the things is being able for a dairy herd it is a more of a smaller scale mm. operation yep. so some of the movies that we see are like scary dairy there's like 2000 cows or plus yeah, massive feedlots and they're I all eating we, grain yeah yes exactly and i think the key thing to recognize is that um a lot of that is in the united states and mm. that those um there is corporate large farms and they're doing that for efficiency to get mm -hmm. the pricing yep. so that's one thing but it's also eliminated a lot of family farms family farms can't compete yeah but one thing that's unique about grass-fed is that there is like less inputs because there's less plowing so that's less fuel that's less you know tractor time that's fertilizer yeah yeah so that's an interesting thing and i think also the idea of having families ha and their integrity for animal care is really mm. important mm -hmm. so i think when things are operating on a more human scale it doesn't have the cost efficiency necessarily but it does have that aspect of uh care that um you get from a herdsman that takes care of his own cows yeah that's cool so that's you know key thing um yeah. Yeah. I can taste the difference. So, um, we also eat meat in our household and, uh, I'll always buy grass fed beef as often as I can as well. And you can absolutely taste the difference there too. So mm -hmm. yeah, no, it's pretty awesome. And yeah, I'm right there with you on the value and the importance of, you know, small scale agriculture and, and grass fed, uh, dairy and beef and, you know, everything in that space for sure. Yeah. And I, another point I think is really important is that, yeah, the, that, um, eating less of, of a good high quality thing is mm. a better choice than eating a lot of a less quality thing. It's yeah, better for, sure. for our personal health and better for the environment as well. Yep. And I think one of the things um, that I've really come to realize as I've grown and with kids and family and stuff is realized how much abundance our generation is living with. And oh my gosh, that, we have no idea, do we? Or a yeah. lot of people have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And even though our, um, like a lot of family values have changed. I think one thing is like uh, having the gratitude for the food, for the people that made the food from the mm -hmm. land where it came from. And that connection to the earth is really something. Um, and when so, there's so much abundance, it can sometimes be that we take things for granted. Mm. So even though um, I think some people say like, you know, your package is a little bit smaller, it costs a dollar more. It does take, you know, more work or, mm -hmm. or there is more uh, high quality or more expensive ingredients in our container. But um, a part of that is the, the care that we put into it. Always delicious, always nutritious. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Now, if you had the opportunity to go back to before you started with the knowledge that you have now, what business advice would you give yourself? Oh, <laughs> that's a fantastic question. I think um, I would definitely tell myself to at the tell myself when I was starting out that it it was true what my father-in-law said was that when you're always doing well, you're always gonna think you can do better. Mm. And when there's even when you go into business, you think you have more control over your time, but that actually it can be 24 seven. Mm. So having um, healthy boundaries, not just in your relationships, but healthy expectations 
in your own mind of what you can achieve and what's real, I think is, is something to always keep in check. So the dream is big. The work is hard. There's tons of it. Um, and I was warned. My mother-in-law told me. Yeah. And I didn't believe him because I was young and energetic. But uh, it's all true. <laughs> a 25, what was it, and A 25-year overnight success. Yeah. It, overnight success takes 25, 25 years. <laughs> We've got some good quotes from this episode. Thank you. <laughs> now, if we were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you'd had your best year ever, what would you have accomplished? Yeah. Oh, um, well, we'd be moved into our new facility, mm. which is super exciting. Very so exciting. This year. Yep. Um, we'll be launched. Our product is launching at a couple key banners. And so we'll be in stores in, in another year. And so we'll be up and, and running there. And I think connecting with more people in the community. So um, reaching out and introducing the product to new people. That's amazing. When you move into your new facility, what kind of um, scope are you um, hopefully allowing yourselves for growth? Like, do you think that you'll be able to like double or triple output and production or what kind of growth projections is it allowing you? It can uh, give us a lot more capacity a and lot. people love <laughs> yeah. to ask that yeah, question, yeah. but yeah. you know what? I'm kind of like, um, I'm, I'm really quite pragmatic. So it's sort of like hope for the best plan for the worst. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a pie in the sky person. So I, but my husband, he always tells me that I undersell. So I'm not going to tell you, but uh, yeah. I do believe that uh, we have, we do physically have the capacity to reach new people. That's exciting, awesome. Yeah. Exciting yeah. part about that is working with other grass fed dairy farms mm. Um, and also wor working with our farms that produce the uh, hemp hearts. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay. Are they based out in Manitoba or where are they? You know what? They're not actually Canadian. So okay. this is a crazy thing is we searched high and low. We really wanted to work with Canadian suppliers. Yeah. The hemp, it seems obvious. But um, there is a process of dehulling the hemp yeah. and everything, yeah. and the Canadian suppliers could only get us hemp that was green. Really? And so, yeah, and so it didn't meet the flavor or visual profiles. So mm -hmm. we are working with um, suppliers in the U.S., uh, but we are we have been working with Canadian um, processors as well. So that's something that we're you know, want to do ongoing experiments so that we can develop that Canadian supply chain. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, listen, Marissa, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. So thank you very much for your time. Mm -hmm. um, if anybody wanted to get in touch with you and continue the conversation or ask you any questions, what's the best way to go about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can contact us. It's contact.us at treeislandyogurt.com. You asked me to uh, prepare if we had a, a special offer for listeners. Oh, and thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to say anyone who is listening that wants to try our new plant-based yogurt, you can email us at contact.us at treeislandyogurt.com and say you heard us on the Pack Heavy podcast and we'll send you a free coupon. That's awesome. Thank you. That's extremely generous. I'm sure everyone <laughs> will really appreciate that. Yeah, fantastic. All right. Well, listen, take care. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. So that was episode 110 in the books. Um, thanks for taking the time to listen in. Hope you all got a lot out of the episode as I did. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, definitely head along to LinkedIn where you can find a post that I'll put up on this show. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a few comments and some interesting conversation revolving around it. And uh, yeah, thanks again. And I look forward to having you back next week for episode 111. Cheers. <laughs>